Welcome to Single Shot. This is your host, Singleton, your knowledgeable friend, when you want to win. Boom. Yeah. Bring the dogs. You better bring your dogs. Double shots in the house. George P. and single shot. New episode. Bring your dogs. Let's go. Riding down Elvis Presley Boulevard. So I want to apologize for the last episode. When exporting, uh, my intern uh, got the audio crossed up, mismatched, and then uh, we had some choppy parts that we removed but somehow still made it into the show. Now, when you run such a professional, uh, you know, high-tech operation uh sometimes you'll have small issues uh so this episode we actually hired four more interns we fired the last one he was fucking garbage but we have four more interns uh to really set this episode off this is the premiere double shot episode uh the most professional you know top of the line uh podcast you've ever heard you got to give us a shot. Take him, take him, take him, take him. Terry, 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 get a handle. Come on, let's go. Come on, talk to me. Talk, talk to me. Tommy, that's fucking bullshit. You know it. Then you talk to me about that. You got to give us a shot. You know what? You got to give us a shot, Okay, listen to me and let me hear what I'm saying, okay? You get your shot. You had your shot right there. In the situation. Oh, why you know the situation, I Terry. Know why okay. don't you get a shot, Tommy? Because that doesn't, that makes oh, it worse. Yeah. Terry, that makes it fucking Terry, worse. I know it. But MLB did nothing to that guy. Nothing. Okay, that, that I, I can't God control that, it. Terry. I can't control that. You know as well as I do where I, Terry, you know where I stand on the whole fucking situation. That, but that's, but, but that's. You're better than that, Tommy. No, you know that. Terry, listen, I'm telling you, our ass is in the jackpot now. Okay? Okay, that's, I'm just telling you. Fucking motherfucker. You know what? You got it. You got it. Get it. You got everything out. All right. So this is uh, double shot, George P. and single shot. What's up, man? So we, uh, this episode we're going to do mostly, we'll have some top five lists, uh, a bunch of random things, maybe not all sports related. We'll, We'll go over some viewer or listener questions. And, and maybe touch on some hot uh, topics of what's happening now. To start off our top five list episode, we're going to talk about our favorite baseball players. So top five baseball players, they're not going to be in order. Uh, 
but we're going to share our top five players and why they are our favorite players. What you got, man? So I'll start off with one of my top five players. I'm actually wearing his uh, jersey right now. It's Pedro Martinez. Why? Because there's no crying in baseball. That's why. <laughs> George, do you have uh, do you have a player in mind? Um, I like Pedro. I uh, kind of lost a lot of respect for him when he just up and bounced after the Red Sox won their 2004 championship. He went but, to uh, a greater, greater franchise. <laughs> but yeah, he was a good one. Um, one of my all-time favorites is uh, is Greg Maddox. Growing up, watching him. Um, dude could put the ball wherever he wanted to. Um, also, the amount of gold gloves he won as a pitcher was pretty neat. Um, and those those chicks dig the long ball commercials he did with Tom Glavin were, were pretty fucking awesome. So, I, I got something to say about Greg Maddox. I know we have a lot of Atlanta Braves listeners. I think Greg Maddox was boring. I can't watch Greg Maddox. He, he didn't have whiff. Come on, stuff. Dude. He didn't. He didn't ha- strike out a lot of guys swinging. Come on, dude. He got a lot of help from from umpires painting corners, hey. and and Tom Glavin to me was superior. Tom Glavin was great, and Tom Glavin also played for the Mets, by the way. Tom Glavin was great, but I mean, you can't. I don't understand your disdain for Maddox. I mean, the guy could put the ball wherever he wanted. You say he didn't have a lot of strikeouts. Well, when you're only facing seventy four batters in a game. I mean, and only throwing, I don't even know how many pitches he threw in that one game. But he faced, no, he threw 74 pitches, excuse me, not 74 batters. I mean, come on. He was scared come to on. attack batters. The dude was a beast. The dude could throw it. He could throw it 95 if he wanted to. But he didn't have to because he served it up, and if you could hit it, you hit it. But guess what? More times than not, you couldn't. So, Greg Maddox for me is def- definitely one of my all-time favorites. To me, he was born. I- I'll go with my next. Uh, he's a current pitcher right now uh, for the New York uh, Baseball Metropolitans. That's Jacob DeGrom. Actually stalked him in a mall a couple years ago. I used to work in Atlanta. That's weird, dude. Don't tell people I- that. No. I'm, going- I'm going to because I like the story. All right? So... This is probably about four and a half years ago, before he signed his contract, before maybe he was a household name. Uh, but I saw the guy walking in the, uh, what mall was it? The uh, Lenox Square Mall. So I saw this dude. He had a lot of hair because, you know, so he, he had a lot of hair at that time. And he was about 6'6". Six, six. He had a Mets hat on. I was like, that's Jacob. I'm going to go follow the dude. So, like, he's with his wife and baby. And I'm following him through the mall, and they stop at the Chick-fil-A line, right? And, uh, like, I'm looking at him. He turns back. Like, he knows the dude's following around. He looks at me, it's so and weird. I had my Mets hat on, too. And I said, good luck tonight, Jake. He said, thanks, man. He smiled back, and then I walked away. It's so fucking weird. But he's also the best pitcher in baseball right now. Yeah, you can't. I mean, he won the Cy Young. I don't know. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. Year before. And he had a losing record overall. Um, how many how many pitchers in Major League Baseball have done that? He's actually should have won the Cy Young this year as well. Uh, he he's just a monster. But yeah, the guy was the guy's is good. Not was good. He is he, good. He's um, he's also a, a good hitter. Uh, in college, he was a shortstop. He actually didn't pitch until uh, he was drafted, and and the Mets 
thought he would be a good pitching prospect. So uh, his best years are ahead of him. Just think how good he would be if he didn't have, like, the mental image of your goofy ass stalking him. Stuff like just burning the yeah, back of his I mean, brain. Yeah, I may have scared him because he had his little baby with him. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he <laughs> once he saw my hat and he, he knew, like, I was like, good luck. You know, he, he just nodded. You know, he knew. Oh, man. All right, so my next one. And uh, we grew up during, like, the heart of the steroid era, you know. But 1998, I was 13. Watching that home run race between McGuire and Sosa that year, before I was, you know, able to realize that they were just all juiced up. Watching Sammy Sosa that year was fucking amazing. So Sammy Sosa definitely is one of my favorite ones to watch or have watched of all time. Uh, I don't know if many of you remember. <clears throat> you probably do, but one of the first games they played after uh, 9-11 happened when he just bust out of the dugout and ran pretty much around the entire the entire field at Wrigley Field with the American flag flying, and the fans were going nuts and shit. And just his enthusiasm, always giving love to his mom after each home run, uh, was pretty cool. It was pretty fun to watch. Not sure what's happened to him since. His skin kind of looks like fucked up. He's yeah. But he he's kind of weird right now. In the back in the day though, he was fun to watch. And I'm glad you didn't say Mark McGuire because that dude's a racist. Uh, <laughs> he was a cheater, but he's also a documented racist. He's just not. How so? How so? He yeah, got, I'm asking. I don't. He, I don't know. He got. Fi- he was assistant coach for some team and got fired for racist comments. I'm not going to repeat them because they're racist. So I'm just. Jesus I'm just Christ. saying, Mark McGuire. What isn't he doesn't seem to be a good person. Nowadays. So, uh, my my player is probably everybody in everybody's favorite player list. That's Ken Griffey Jr. He's in mind. He made me love <clears throat> baseball when I was a kid. I had his shoes. You know, you, you can't go wrong. Uh, he should be the all-time home run leader. Yeah. But injuries derailed his career, and he never took steroids. I don't believe. No. Uh, in a in an era where everybody else did, he he stayed true to the game. So he should be in everybody's top five. Yeah, Griffey Jr. was. I mean, he. You can't. You can't get that the image of his swing out of your head if you've seen it one time. It's it's pretty amazing. The guy had an uncanny ability to put the bat on the ball, and like you said. You say it derailed his career, his injuries. I mean, the dude still had over 600 home runs. So, who knows what he could have had had he not been injured as much as he was. But, yeah, I mean, he gave it all. The dude was flying into the outfield wall, catching balls and stuff. Um, just jacking home runs in the old Mariners Stadium. It was really cool to watch. And the All-Star Games, the home run derbies with the backwards hat, the kid. Really, really fun player to watch. Uh, my next one, Junior was on my list too. Um, I'm gonna go to another Junior, uh, Cal Ripken Junior. Um, remember vividly sitting in my parents' living room the night he broke Gehrig's consecutive game streak. Um, just a testament, I think, to his work ethic to stay healthy as long as he did and go out there, not just be on the field for as many consecutive games as he was, but actually perform. Um, the guys in the Hall of Fame, as much of these guys are, but yeah, Calrickon Jr. just a class act, and uh, yeah, one of my all-time favorites. Yep. So uh, 
another slugger for me, uh, Carlos Beltran. Uh, he invented, you know, he was in the 40-40 club multiple times, 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. I think the 30-30 club like nine times. Uh, he actually uh, one of the best all-time hitters in postseason games. They call him Mr. October. He he has uh, the most uh, or the highest stolen base success rate in Major League Baseball history. Beltron? Yeah, at like 89 because he's had over. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Mr. October reference. Yeah, that's Mr. Jackson. Mr. New October. Oh, okay. Senor okay. October. October. Because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a racist, you know. So, you know, Beltron, he's he's a switch hitter. Only four switch hitters ever had 400 home runs. He's got over 300 stolen bases. He was a monster. Uh, he just he came just short of 3,000 hits in his career. Uh, I think he had 1,600 RBIs as well. And a a great fielder. He was a five. He was one of the first five tool players, uh, besides Ken Griffey Jr. Of course, but yeah. No, Beltron's good. Um, My next one's another brave, uh, old Larry Chipper Jones. Really, I mean, switch hitter. I think he's one of those that's got over four hundred career home runs as a switch hitter. Um, Yeah, totally got fucking screwed. In '95, when Nomo won Rookie of the Year, Chipper should have won that. Really haven't heard much out of old Hideki since then. But yeah, Chipper. I mean, he's just a crowd pleaser, all around good, good baseball player, fielder at multiple positions. And uh, Braves got him back as a, uh, I think, a special hitting coach or some something like that. Now, so he's back in Atlanta. Hopefully, he'll move up in the ranks there. But yeah, Chipper Jones. Another one of my favorites. So, uh, Larry, Larry, he's in my all-time uh, top player to heckle list. <laughs> I used to always try to go to the Mets Braves games uh, just to heckle him and yell at him because it's easy to do that. He he is a. Uh, I hate him. He he's a he's a troll. He's a Mets troll. He, he named his kid Shay after <laughs> Shea Stadium because he used to be so good. Uh, when he played in New York, and, and I've always disliked the dude. So uh, it was pretty in the the when baseball started up after the whole pandemic thing, and one of the I think the first game was Braves Mets, and there's a cardboard cut out of Chipper Jones right behind home plate that he paid for. That was pretty pretty fucking awesome. So my my last player, I debated. There's there's a couple I like. Like Ron Gant, he's one of my favorites. Uh, I even like Sid Bream. A lot of the old old school Braves, uh, they were fun to watch. Uh, the crime dog, Fred McGriff. Uh, he's, you know, he's a crime dog. I really can't say much more. Uh, but I have to stay with the Mets, of course. I guess that's uh, four out of five for me. And that would be uh, David Wright, the captain. Gave his all for the Mets. Again, his his career was derailed by injuries late, but uh, multiple back surgeries. But he gave it all, and he he would have been probably the top third baseman of all time had he not got hurt. So so that that's my my final favorite player. Mike Piazza was close as well, but uh, David Wright will always hold a special part 
in my heart. And he wasn't a racist dude. <laughs> that you know. Right. But yeah, David Wright was a good one. Um, if you haven't seen his his farewell his farewell moment in his last game, that's pretty... It made pretty, me cry a little bit. Yeah, pretty. it's a pretty cool thing to watch. But um, yeah, this is, this is a tough list. But uh, I guess... Just from growing up, my last one would have to be Tom Glavin. Um, the number 47 on that jersey is, is forever ingrained in my brain. I mean, the guy was a beast. Um, that whole pitching lineup, him and Smoltz. Um, and now that I think about it, John Smoltz might actually be above Tom Glavin. But, yeah, that Ooh. whole that whole pitching, what Smoltz did as a starter and then as a reliever um, – I think is unmatched, and I don't know if it will ever be be matched again. But Glavin, the dude was drafted, I think, in the first round of the NHL draft back in the day. The guy was a goalie, but all right, and then comes out and just dominates the early early mid nineties for Tom, the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, so Tom Glavin, of course, he got his three hundred career win yeah. as a New York Met, not a Brave, by hey. the way. No. But he may be the last. How many of those wins are against the Mets, though? Uh, probably quite a few. But, I, you know, he, he may be the last pitcher ever to get 300 wins. It it's not me. That's not a not something that's going to happen many more times. Yeah, pitchers are a joke nowadays. Well, I wouldn't say that, but the games, the games change. They don't go as deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're stretched out more. So... I honestly think he may be the last pitcher to ever get 300 wins. So, I think he had 305 when he retired. But, but yeah, that was a good list, dude. So, that that's our top five favorite baseball players. If if you have disagreements, you know, send us send us a message, a voice message, text, text or whatever, and we'll touch on it in the next episode. You want to record your top five, we'll tell you how wrong you are. So, <laughs> you know, that was our top five baseball players. And and we'll move on. Yeah, so I think uh, we got the cocky prognosticator from the standpipe in Belton who wants to know our top five college entrances. I'm assuming he's talking about football entrances. Okay. So I'll start it off just because it's really easy. And it's the uh, Ford Model A down in Atlanta. Oh, God. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. I mean, come on, man. What can you say? I mean, that thing gets gets rolling, fumes. I don't even know. It's kind of unsafe, all the players being in the tunnel with that thing while it's, you know, rattling around. But got cheerleaders hanging off of it, buzz running off field, cutting flips, dodging it. Um, yeah, since 1961, I think, was the first time it made its appearance against Rice. And uh, ever since then, it's been a staple at home games, a couple bowl games, I think, maybe. Um, staple of people's weddings, but yeah, Ramblin' Wreck from Georgia Tech. That will be my numero uno. Okay, so uh, that's definitely not in mine, but you know, <laughs> uh, I do. I do like not necessarily an entrance, but if you go to a Georgia Tech game, uh, you'll see the band just running around like crazy, fucking people, like through courtyards, yep. stopping it and playing songs. Even the tuba players, they like running their little ass off. Yep, that's pregame. And then you you can kind of like follow them around, and that, like I said, they're just running to stop, do a song, run to another part of the 
you know, Canvas do a song. It's pretty cool. Yep. Pretty legit. The the Ramblin' Wreck, uh, you know, whatever. It It beats the Wake Forest fucking Harley. I didn't even as know far as motorized mascots, come on! I honestly, I, I couldn't. <laughs> I never even remember that because that's kind of fucking demon deacon so, in Harley. I have one that's not football, and I guess you could call it an entrance. Uh, Duke basketball. So I've been to a few Duke basketball games. Now Cameron Indoor is super small. It's super hot, but when you go to the stadium, the Duke. The Duke team, when they come out of their locker room, they, like, walk by every fan and through the opposing team's locker room. And it's intimidating because if Duke's uh, a number one, number two team in the country with all these future NBA stars and they're just, like, walking by you and your little Clemson shit team, it's pretty intimidating. And then when you when everybody walks onto the floor, the, the fans, they have – they have little sheets of paper that they have uh, pretty much studied and researched everybody on the roster of the other team, things to make fun of them with, like player sisters' names, what you know, what kind of food they don't like, and they will hound you nonstop. So to me, that's that's a pretty cool, uh, uh, intimidating, uh, maybe not an entrance, but just an experience. Yeah, that's that's pretty. And it's hot as shit in there too. Yeah, it's like a little box. I mean, it's a little box. They haven't upgraded. They see it's in. It's in the. You know, I don't even know where it's located. But I went in there and I I was in the top corner, in the very back, one of the last rows for one of the games, and I was sweating my balls off. So, I know how hot the players are. So, my next two are coming from personal experience. And I'll start with the one that I'll never forget, even though the game didn't turn out like I wanted. But, and I know a lot of people are going to hate this. A lot of you going to love it, but uh, Clemson. All right, so my next one on the the top top fanfare and top experience list is uh, from 2006. Um, Clemson-Georgia Tech game. College game day was there. Both teams were ranked top 15. One was 13, one was 12. I can't really remember which one. Uh, Spiller was in in his prime for Clemson. Calvin Johnson was in his prime for Tech. Uh, like I said, college game day was there. Went through that whole, that whole thing. Had my hat stolen. Saw a Georgia Tech flag set on fire. It was quite terrifying. But uh, had a great time. And... So the game game's getting ready to start. You know, all the players are out on the field. And Tech's in their traditional gold pants, white jerseys. Clemson, I think, had on orange jerseys, white pants. And everybody knows the whole – well, everybody around here knows the whole Clemson tradition where they leave the field and they go in their locker room and they take buses around and they run down the hill. Um, and this really isn't – about the hill per se. I really think running down the hill is fucking stupid. I think it's dangerous. Um, <laughs> if, if I'm a Clemson coach, if I'm Dabo Sweeney right now, there's no way in hell I'd be letting Trevor Lawrence run down that hill the past few years. Um, or any of my top players. Let all the grunts go out there and do it, I guess. But Or just have fans run down the hill, though. There's plenty of them. But anyway, <laughs> so we're in our seats and all the players leave the field before the game. And... 
like I said, game day's there. It's a time. I was there. Single shot was there. <laughs> um, and we're sitting there, and, you know, Clemson Tech leaves the field. Tech comes back on the field. And then all of a sudden, Clemson shows up at the top of the hill, not wearing the orange and white that they were warming up in, but wearing solid purple. Now, whatever you think about the solid purple uniforms, again, I think they look like fucking Barney the dinosaur running around. But regardless, they showed up in those uniforms, and that place went off the fucking hinges. So, to me, I'm not going to say... I don't really think that running down the hill is all that great of a, an entrance. But from an, a fan experience, that's definitely one of my top two. It is my second all-time experience as a college football fan at a college football stadium. And like I said, the game didn't turn out well. Tech played horrible. There's still bone fragments from Tech players' ankles where C.J. Spiller just absolutely juked their ass out. I think Calvin Johnson had negative six rushing yards. That was his stats. He didn't even have a reception. It was stupid. Clemson totally dominated. But from fan pure fan experience, that would be my my number two. Okay. Uh, I mean, Clemson's probably my number one. Yeah. I it's even so love. I even love what you know the players did on the buses. They go around. They come back. They they load off the buses, That's and so they're just stuff. like getting hype at the top of the hill. And of course, you got to give, you got to give one hundred ten percent, or you can't touch the fucking rock, like that. That's the deal. And then they jump down, and you know the cannons going off, people are going crazy. Like everybody knows that entrance. Everybody would say it's the top five entrance. That hill's but dangerous. It's, it's probably number one. That hill's dangerous. They should just put more bleachers there. Well, it's got, it's kind of got little, you know. Yeah, that's why it's fucking dangerous because it's like a launch pad. Yeah, but they jump around anyway. Uh, one of my favorites is Virginia Tech. Now, I've been to quite a few, well, quite a few, maybe three or four mm-hmm. Virginia Tech football games now. Now, when they're getting ready, they don't use the mascot. They they start playing Inner Sandman by Metallica. And, like, when the first note of that song comes on, the players aren't out. The fans in unison just go crazy. They're jumping up and down there. It, it's so loud. It's like because it's like a bowl, like it's straight up and down the stadium. So it's super loud. And once the fans start going crazy, the the players storm the field. And and the visitors are you know the visiting teams they're already standing on the sidelines. It's gotta it's gotta be intimidating. It gives a chilling you know feeling. So I mean that's a that's a top entrance really. If you could see it live, so yeah, Virginia Tech um, didn't quite make my list, but it's definitely the whole inner Sandman thing. Watching those guys walk in from the practice facility, um, listening to your testimony, and a couple other guys talk about their experiences there sounds pretty cool, and it's definitely one that, that I'd like to experience. Um, my next one, I'm gonna stay local. Um, I've been to a few of these. It's fucking cocky in the cage, man. <laughs> South Carolina. Um, when they're playing 2001 and those players come out and they drop that curtain on that cage and that big beak motherfucker is just shaking that thing. Um, 
it might not translate into a whole lot on the field, but <laughs> it it'll it'll get it'll get the hair on your arms and the hair on the back of your neck standing up watching watching that mascot go crazy and getting inner sandman and ninety thousand towels twirling around and the lights going and it's completely safe too by the way. There's no fucking hill for them to fucking die on. But yeah. Super super cool, super fun entrance. Um that whole game day experience too is is pretty neat. Um it's nothing each one is each one is different. But yeah that one the only one ranked on my list, by the way, is Georgia Tech. They're number one. The rest of them are just completely random. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not number, ranking mine. So yeah, so uh, I, I'm gonna completely disagree with with this last one, South Carolina. I think it's terrible. I think the song sucks. <clears> I think <throat> the team sucks. Uh, but you know, you're entitled to your opinion, whatever. Uh, shame cops. You know that they hold no place in my heart or any any list for that matter, <laughs> except a bad list. Uh, <laughs> Uh, another one I like, and I don't remember how many. I think I've said three or four. I, I can't remember. Uh, the Buffaloes of Colorado. Ah, fuck them. When you got Ralphie, one Ralphie comes out. Ralphie the Buffalo. He storms a field. It's fucking animal. You never know where he's gonna go. And watching the, his handlers try to, uh, you know, figure out where he's gonna go is is even a better part. They have no control over him. It's. You said it was animal abuse. It's not because that dude runs shit. That's the fucking buffalo. It's they, not even a full grown. But they let they let Ralphie buffalo. just do whatever he wants. He just roams wherever he roams. He's roaming. He may he may plow a player. Who knows? Yeah, I'd like to see that happening. You know you know how many people actually handle Ralphie when he's coming on the field? No idea. It's five. Do you know the significance of that number five? No. It's how many fucking downs the goddamn referees gave him in 1990. Oh, my Okay? God. Five fucking downs against Nebraska to get a first down. They fucking cheated. They should have their championship stripped away from them. And finally, the rest of the nation and the rest of the world, for that matter, will recognize Georgia Tech as the 1990 college football national champions. Okay. Okay. I had to get that out. Okay. Besides that, uh, how many oh, did Colorado. you say? Did you say four? I've said three. Oh, you have? Yeah, I've said three. Um, my next one um, will be Ohio State. Uh, dot in the eye um, at the horseshoe. Pretty. I've never experienced it in person, but seeing it live on TV, um, hearing stories from people that have been there. Um, Probably one of my all-time favorite eye dots would be uh, Jack Nicholas, who I don't know if a lot. I'm sure a lot of you do know he was. He played basketball at Ohio State. Obviously, was a golfer at Ohio State. Um, but yeah, old ass Jack Nicholas dot in the eye at the horseshoe. I thought uh, was pretty cool. So that one, Ohio State, they definitely make my list. Okay, so I think I have one more. I hate I hate to put this team in my list. But again, this is another one that you have to experience a lot. It's Florida State when they put the spear in the ground. Uh, it's to me. It I mean, obviously, you, you know, it's a real seminal Indian. But just to watch watch them put the spear on fire into the ground and say, "Hey, we're ready for war," it's just it's just awesome. Uh, I hate the place. 
Tallahassee's, you know, it's a terrible city or town or whatever you call it. Uh, all you see is prisons and trash dumps and, and you know, they got IHOP. <laughs> you don't like IHOP? I, I don't. don't care oh, for man, IHOP. I haven't candy. been to the IHOP in town in over 10 years. It's too candy-like. So, like, you know, don't care for the school, but, but the intro is, is pretty awesome, so. Yeah, um, you know, I was having trouble coming up with a fifth one, but, I mean, shit, Florida State, you're right. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched the the traditions show on uh, ACC Network, but Florida State, they actually have an actual, not only a student of the university, but they have Seminole lineage, and, and they are they are the mascot. Right. Um, and super cool. Um so Osceola runs out on Renegade. And that horse, I don't know about you, I don't know much about horses, but that horse is fucking awesome looking. Yeah. It's like a Dalmatian horse. It's pretty yeah. fucking awesome. But he throws that spear in the middle of the field. 75, 80,000 people lose their brains. And, uh, yeah, Florida State would, would definitely they definitely be on the, on the top five. I mean, there. rest in peace to their football program. But Oh, yeah, it's fucking good. But, but, their, but their tradition of, of good entrance lives on. I don't know how much that tradition, or any of these traditions for that matter, will, will or, I don't know. The whole, the fans make college football is what I'm trying to get at. So, without fans, I really think the, all of these traditions are, risk, are at risk of, of just going away. I really hope that doesn't happen. I really hope we get some fans back in the seat soon. Well, the, so, you know, they announced today that for the Bas- uh, NCAA tournament, March Madness, they're going to allow 25% capacity of fans. So it does look like we're going to get fans for uh, the tournament, and there's going to be a tournament. So, uh, like cool. I said, it, everything keeps improving. That's so exciting. hopefully, uh, you know, things get back to normal because everybody wants to be back to normal. And everybody wants March Madness, so. Yeah, everybody wants sports in general. I mean, the sport, sports is a common ground. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, racist, not racist. Um, sports is definitely a, a, a common ground we can all stand on and hopefully soon gather together and enjoy and um, get on about our lives. Okay, so that was our... Uh you know, top five college entrances from uh, the Cocky Prognosticator. So if he, if if Mr. Cocky, if he has, a, you know, disagreements with any of these, he can let us know. I know he's probably got Carolina in his top five, uh, judging by his name, <laughs> which probably means he's not a very smart dude. But, oh, come on now. What? Come on now. Did you, uh, did, did he have another list or? Yeah, he, uh. Another one, I don't know if it was from uh, the prognosticator, but uh, Flying Brian wanted to know our top five college running backs of okay. all time. So, you want me to start? I mean, I'll start with one that's probably in your list as well. All right. Uh, C.J. Spiller for Clemson. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go, I mean, go for it. He changed, honestly, he was one of those first backs, not first backs, but one of the first modern backs recently to be, you know, not only a, a, a dual, you know, just a running threat, but also uh, a big-time threat in the passing game. Uh, 
Now, I don't know how much James Davis helped him because James Davis was your bruising back uh, to compliment him uh, as he was more the change of pace. But you, you can't – the impact he made was unmatched. He probably – I mean, he probably should have won the Heisman. Uh, what yeah. in two thousand nine or two thousand ten? I can't well, remember. Two thousand nine. He he should he should have won the Heisman. Yeah. First first team All ACC. Uh, you know two thousand eight two thousand nine. The other two years, he he wasn't a. I mean he split time with James Davis and even Reggie Merriweather the first year. So, like it wasn't like he was the full time back, but he put up full time numbers. Uh. It's shocking to me that he's on your list after your first encounter with the man. Yeah, so... It really, I, really I, does shock me. And, and some of my listeners know this story, but some of them don't. I've always liked to take credit for what C.J. Spiller became, <laughs> okay? So, C.J. Spiller, coming out of high school, I mean, he was a he was a pretty big recruit, you know, but... not I mean, not a ton of people knew about him because back then... It, Recruiting wasn't as, you know, nationwide or like, you know, social media wasn't out. You, you couldn't follow it as much. So, you, you knew names, but you didn't know everything about them. So, I'm sitting here at GameStop in Easley. It was at, you know, midnight for, for one of the releases for NCAA football. Yep. And I had a friend of mine, Alonzo. Alonzo's like, hey, hey, Jesse. He's like, what's up, man? I'm like, hey, man. He's like, what do you think about C.J. Spiller? I said, C.J. Spiller? I said, you know, he's too small. Uh, he's got Reggie Merriweather and James Davis ahead of him. He's not going to see – I said, he's not going to see the field. The dude's he's just not cut out to, you know, to start for Clemson University. And Alonzo's like, hey, man, I want you to meet C.J. Spiller. C.J.'s standing with him. Jesus. I was like, oh, hey, C.J. He, he just kind of nodded or whatever. <laughs> well, me – downing him to his face and doubting him gave him the motivation to be what he was. Him and Jacoby Ford were the leading all-purpose duo in NCAA history uh, in 2009. The yardage they put up. Yeah, I can't, I can't speak to his mindset at that, at that moment because I was, I was there too. Um, I witnessed this. It did happen. But uh, I can't I can't speak to how much influence you had on the man's career in college or beyond. But, yeah, Spiller definitely makes my list, too. Eight, eight, um, eight kickoff return touchdowns on top of his oh yeah. nearly 4,000 rushing the yards. Dude, the dude epitomized what the Heisman Trophy used to be, which was the best player in college football. It wasn't it's not the best player on the best team. It's the best player in college football in 2009. That's what the man was. I mean – He's the only player in ACC history to be the MVP of the ACC championship game from the losing team. They lost to Georgia Tech, by the way, 2009. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he was the MVP of that game, and he was on the losing team. And that he's the only one to ever do that. I mean, the guy returned kicks, returned punts, caught the ball, ran the ball, um, was just an all-around good athlete, a hell of a track star, too. As well as Jacoby Ford, I think Ford actually won like a national title in track, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. But yeah, Spiller definitely makes my list too. Is one of the top, top all time running backs, or one of my all time. I'm gonna. This is gonna pain me to say this, but I guess he's one of my all time favorites. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he changed the game. Uh, that that game that Jesse mentioned before, or the game day with Georgia Tech, yeah. when, he fought, when he got on that sideline and did that little juke move. And oh, yeah. It, I could see George P.'s heart just fall out. No, when you talk about or what's the uh, – the whole legend of uh, Jimmy Hoffa being buried under Giant Stadium and they've never found any evidence of it. Well, you could go to Death Valley right now and find bone fragments from ankles of Georgia Tech players from that game. <laughs> it's sprinkled in the grass. So That that game kind of put him on the, the national stage, I absolutely. would say. Absolutely. I mean, he was already absolutely. Uh, a world-class player, but that game on national TV for game day, it put him on the stage. Yep. Absolutely. So that that CJ Spiller, he, I don't know if he's number one. I don't know if I'm doing this in order yet, but he's not he, my number one. My, he, my he's number in one the top. Is totally biased. So probably never even heard of him. Travis Best. No. Not I, Travis Best. Huh? Uh, <laughs> Travis Best. Did. Travis Best played point guard for Georgia Tech. Did he? Indiana Pacers. I'm thinking of uh, <laughs> to to Shard Choice. No, not Shard Choice. He's not even my top five. He'd be in my top five Georgia Tech running backs. Okay. Who's your who's my your? next one? I guarantee you, if you've heard of him, then you know, props. But Tony Hollings oh, was a running back at Georgia Tech. Um, I believe the year was two thousand four, maybe two thousand three. Um, the previous year under Georgia Leary, he was a defensive back. Chan Gailey comes in, he goes and talks to Gailey and says, "Hey." I want to. I want to run the ball and be a running back. Well, through four games, I don't even say four games. Through three and a half games of that season, the man led the nation in total rushing yards, total touchdowns, total yards per carry. Was an absolute beast. I mean, it was on. It was. It was. He was doing things that have never been done before in college football. That's how good he was. Okay, look it up if you don't believe me. Tony Hollings, look up his stats. For that season, until against BYU, those fucking Mormons, they got twenty-eight-year-olds out there playing playing football. Tore his ACL during the game and never never made it back. Uh, I think he played a couple years in the NFL for the Texans. I know Jesse loves them, but uh, yeah, Tony Hollings is definitely definitely one of my all-time favorite college running backs, even though his career was tragically cut short due to injury. Look okay. him up. Look him up so, if you don't believe me. So so another uh, – <laughs> I know who Tony Hollins is. He's clearly not on my top five. But uh, what one of mine, uh, injuries derailed his career, but that was late in the pros. In college, uh, he was pretty unstoppable in the SEC. Deuce McAllister, the deuce is loose. <laughs> he was one of the first. He, he actually helped me fall in love with Ole Miss sports. The deuce, the deuce is loose. He leads <clears throat> Ole Miss in, in rushing yards, total touchdowns, a hundred yard games. You name it. You mean someone other than Eli Manning? What do you mean? I feel like there's a little infidelity going on here. I mean, no. So, well, he was before Eli. Right, I understand that. I started. So I started when I started. Of course, I would flip, you know, channels, whatever. I turned on the Ole Miss game one time. Uh, him and Romero Miller was the quarterback. They helped me kind of start my jump start my Ole Miss love affair. And then in 2001, you know, when Deuce was a senior, 
Eli, he was on the scene, you know, and they just like, they stole my heart, man. You know, I became old Miss uh, Rebel, and uh, it it was a lot of it was Deuce McAllister. Uh, most of it was Eli, you know, the best quarterback of all time. But uh, Deuce, Deuce was pretty unstoppable. He actually was a reason the the Saints traded Ricky Williams because they were they drafted Deuce, and now he's a career leader for the Saints in rushing yards and touchdowns. Still to this day. It's not Archie. No. I figured Archie would be on that. Yeah, but most of his was running from like 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage (laughs) to get back to the line of scrimmage. So, Deuce McAllister from Morton, Mississippi is in my top five. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, My next one would would be Ron Dane. And I'm not going to lie to you, the only reason he's even in my top five is because he edged out Joe Hamilton for the Heisman Trophy. Um, but, I mean, the guy is still, still the all-time leader, all-time rushing leader in NCAA history. Um, yeah, I can't believe you don't you don't have any kind of love for the guy, seeing as he played, I think, what, three or four years for the Giants? Um, well, and didn't do horrible. He was a, bu- he was a bust. He didn't do horrible. He, he he was he was a bust. So, but uh, but yeah, he had he had one or two decent years. But <clears throat> I mean, they wasted that draft pick. So, but yeah, Ron Dane definitely makes my top five. Like I said, for the sole reason that he will ever be linked in history with Joe Hamilton, and not the other way around. And don't you forget it. And he was he was number one uh, college history, I think, until his uh, another Wisconsin player. Uh, edged him out. I can't remember his name. Jonathan Hill, maybe. Are you I, sure? I can't remember. Was it, is it Jonathan Hill? I'm pretty sure that that Ron Dane's still. Uh, no, nah, you need to look that up. All right, I'll dig into that. It was Ron Dane. Was it Jonathan Hill mm-hmm. or uh, who's the running back for the the Colts now? Jonathan Taylor. I have no idea. In fact, there's been two or three Wisconsin players since Ron Dane to, to put up numbers like he did. It may just be the way Michigan plays boring football, but, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so another one in my list, I hate to be a homer, it's probably Reggie Merriweather for Clemson. Not, not the best, not the best running back. Not the best running back of all time, but just one I enjoyed watching the most. Uh, he, he Back then, Clemson always had two or three guys. They shuffled in and out. Reggie Merriweather is the one that kicked the South Carolina player in the head, you know, after they, they grabbed a helmet. You still owe me money from that year. What are you talking about? Did we bet that uh, Clemson wouldn't make a ball game that year, and they didn't? No idea. He's still at me. That's another another story for another day. Sorry. Okay. I don't I don't remember that. He's he's probably making up stories. Uh <laughs> and like I said, I had so much confidence in Reggie Merriweather's ability, I told CJ Spiller he would never amount to anything. You know. So Reggie Merriweather didn't put up all time numbers, but was a very good back. Uh and and you know, he did it all. So uh, that's in my list. Homer pick, whatever. Nice. Um, my next one 
would be Ricky would be Ricky Williams. Um, the guy was an absolute animal. Another Heisman Trophy winner. Um, was really really good in the NFL also. Um, and then I really got respect for the guy for just being like, you know what? Fuck you! I'm hanging it up. I'm gonna go do what I want to. Smoke a little and then and then tried to come back. And I think he was kind of successful at that. Um, now I'm pretty sure he's got a. I'm not sure if he's taking this professional or not, but dude's an avid photographer. He's even been on the sidelines in a couple Super Bowls, taking pictures and photos. Um, but yeah, Ricky Williams, um, really, really good, good running back, all around athlete. So, uh, one more on my list. Actually, I think you got one more after this, but. Bo Jackson, uh, in, in that in that last year he played for Auburn, I think he had like eighteen hundred rushing yards and like twenty twenty something touchdowns. It's, He's just a yeah monster it's, on top of playing other sports. Baseball, uh, fucking stupid. He he left a few games early <laughs> when he was hurt, you know, because he, he got hurt that year, but just put up ridiculous numbers and clearly was unstoppable at any level of you know. Any yeah. level of football, so another guy whose career was ultimately cut short due to injury, and a pretty freak injury at that. Um, but yeah, Bo Jackson was great. Um, I'm not sure if I've actually got another one. To be honest with you, I mean, a lot of people around here are gonna say, "Oh, you gotta put fucking Herschel Walker in there." No, you don't. The guy's a joke. Got. Really didn't do anything for college football. Um, guess you could say Archie Griffin. I mean, the guy won two Heisman trophies. Um, only one to ever do it. Um, yeah, I really don't have. I really don't have a fifth one. Tony Hollings is my number one. Spiller's a close second. So I, I have. I have one more. Uh, and it was another deuces loose because he was number twenty two. Uh, Dexter McCluster for Ole Miss University. <laughs> he had, uh, in the game against Tennessee, I think Tennessee was ranked number seven at the time, he had like 325 total yards in that game. He was a monster. He had 23 touchdowns like his last two years of college. His senior year he had like 1,700 total yards. Uh, and that, not just running the ball, but, you know, he had like 50 catches. You know, his last year, he he carried, he had like a career like seven yards per carry. Pretty good. He 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 had return touchdowns. He threw passes. He was the ultimate like. I guess you would say like wildcat weapon. Uh, they didn't run the wildcat. You know, they didn't run the wildcat. But he would have been the perfect uh, player for that first wildcat offense. I think that. Who ran it first? Uh, Florida ran it. No. no, I think it was Kentucky. That's why it's called the Wildcat. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Dexter McCluster. So we're going away from the top five list for a moment to answer a text line question from Poonhound sixty nine. He says, "Why do baseball teams continue to sign major deals? Garrett Cole, Machado, Bryce Harper." With the history that says they amount, they almost never pan out due to injury, age, money, or ineffectiveness, such as Chris Davis, Albert Pujols, and 
A-Rod. So, George P., do you have any opinion on this before I jump in? Um, well, I mean, I'm not – I mean, the amount of money floating around baseball right now is is absolutely ridiculous. But, like, you mentioned A-Rod, and to me, he's he was the first one to get the, the mega deal when he signed with Texas for, what was it, $250 million over a certain, certain number of years. Yeah. And I think right now, Miguel Cabrera for the Tigers – is sitting at a contract on um, $248 million, and he ranks ninth on the current list of mega contracts in Major League Baseball. So, I mean, it goes all the way from ninth place at $248 million in eight years all the way up to thirty. Um, yeah, Mike Trout at $426 million for 12 years. And you got Tatis, you know, everybody, everybody's heard about him, his 14-year deal. But... So... I don't know. It just seems like a lot. I mean, 14 years in really any team sport, regardless of when you start, is just a long, long time. Yeah, did they have to sign him for 14 years, Tatis? Did they have to? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know if that was something that the, the Padres were pushing or if that's something that Tatis and his people were pushing. But So I, I did. I did read – I read something today that Tatis not going to get all that because he signed some kind of weird deal when he was in the minors on this developmental thing, and they're getting like ten percent of his future earnings. So he's they're going to get ten percent of his contract, not to mention all the taxes in California. But uh, like I don't know, you know, he he says they never pan out seven. I'm I'm thinking like seven of the top twenty contracts in history, seven of those players have won championships. So, in hindsight, maybe they're not all bad with if you're team, winning with the, the champ- teams that they signed those contracts Correct. with. Yeah, and and I think like fifteen of the twenty have made the playoffs, which is probably not that good if you're giving a guy two hundred and eighty million dollars and not making the playoffs. Like that's pretty bad. Yeah, but. But with like, let's go with Mike Trout. He he has a record contract for what United States athletes four hundred and what thirty million. I don't know if uh, it's four hundred twenty six point five million for what for uh, twelve years. So twelve years. I don't know if uh, Patrick Mahomes surpassed that. No, he is. Patrick Mahomes is a joke anyway. Well, that's regardless. We're talking about the contracts. Stay on topic, dude. Yeah. So the the reason why I think Trout got that money. So. He's when the Angels, awesome. he's the best yeah, so player he's the best player in baseball, right in ba- but it doesn't amount to wins. But when he signed that deal, the Angels then got th- a three billion dollar broadcast deal with Fox Sports. So you, you're talking about they're bringing in three billion dollars just from broadcast for like ten years, maybe twelve years. I can't remember. So when you're signing marquee players like that, it's going to bring revenue in. Uh, fans, you know, coming into the game, selling merchandise, and, and TV deals. Broadcast deals in baseball are huge money. So uh, I think some of these guys get these big contracts because it brings revenue in for, like I said, for broadcast and, and, you know, tickets. And baseball brings in the most money just because of the sheer amount of games that they play. So yeah. I, I can see – I can see why teams still try to do it because they want to tie in a, a superstar to their franchise for long periods of time, which, it, again, brings more revenue. So, to me, teams view it as an investment 
uh, even though they're paying huge amounts of money, it's investment to their franchise because it brings that much more money in. Now, I don't mega contracts are what they are, and I will never, I will never understand why these teams give pitchers the amount of money they give them. Um, so, like, you all know, we all know Trevor Bauer went to the Dodgers <clears throat> three years, one hundred and two million dollars for a pitcher for someone who's going to work. Once every five days, maybe, and might pitch six innings. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Trevor Bauer. I think he's a great pitcher. But, I think his personality's great. He's good for baseball. Um, but $102 million for three years? In comparison, Acuna signed that $100 million contract for eight years with the Braves, and he's an everyday player. But if you win, so if you win every five days, though, and then your team wins two, of the, two out of the other four, you're making the playoffs. I don't. If you win, if you win, if you win in sixty percent of your games, you're likely making the playoffs. I don't get it because what's a pitcher? If a pitcher wins fifteen games a year right now, they're doing fucking good. But they're also good pitchers like that. Also uh, help the bullpens and give them more rest, which makes them more effective. So I don't, I don't agree. I mean, teams are going to pay what pay players what they want to pay them, but giving a pitcher that kind of contract, I mean, Garrett Cole. Is sitting here at six right now, six on the current like top contracts in Major League Baseball list at nine years, three hundred twenty-four million dollars for a pitcher, a pitcher, someone who actually like contributes but, once every five, maybe six days. It's insane. It's but insane. he's 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 facing the other team's best pitcher, and when you when you think you have the best pitcher, you're going to win more games, especially against top competition. To me, it, it kind of relaxes uh, the rest of the team and, you know, gives them, I guess, uh, a false sense of they're going to win every time this guy's on the mound. I guess. I, just, so, I don't agree with giving well, pitchers that kind of To money. me, you shouldn't be giving first baseman all this money because look at the guys that's getting all the money. They're everyday uh, players, though. Prince Fielder. They're everyday players, good at the plate. It don't matter. First basemen are essential. First you're you're base- giving you're giving Chris Davis all that money. Now, he doesn't that, get a I hit for fifty days. That I don't I don't know. I mean that's a player, but first base is probably the one of the most difficult positions to play. It, why? All you gotta do is catch catch the ball. You ever, you ever play first base? You're left handed. No, I'm I'm not a you good baseball play- player. Okay, so but to me, like it's it's the least premium position on the field. That's in my I think, opinion. I think every position, every position is crucial, um, but I know pitchers crucial. They control the game for the most part. But when you're paying a guy over three hundred million dollars to go out there and maybe do what he does sixty times, come on! No, I'd rather spend. I'd rather make the concession stands nicer, or put fluffier toilet paper in the bathroom for the, for the fans. That's just me. I guess that's why I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you and not in a front office somewhere. Again, yeah. In my opinion, the reason why they do it is, like I said earlier, it's for it, they view it as an investment uh, for future earnings. They feel like if they sign these guys to this much money, they're going to make that much more money. So I think that's why they do it. Uh, why are they doing 14 years? I have no idea. Yeah, that's a they, long They're signing time. these guys that get, you know way past their prime, but I guess that's what the players are commanding, and then they want you know the security. I, mean, I, I don't understand 
yeah. the, the length of the contracts, but I understand the amount of the contracts. So. And if nothing else, what the what the Padres are doing shows that they're committed to at least to try and win. I mean, the, they've got two $300 million guys on their infield. Their infield is worth like $900 million. It's worth almost a billion dollars. Yeah, it's a I mean, $900 million dollar infield. If if I'm if I'm the Padres right now, if they let a pebble get through that infield, a speck of dust, fucking heads are gonna roll because I got a billion dollars <laughs> invested in this infield. That doesn't even include the catcher or the guy who's throwing the ball, the guy who's pitching. Nope. That's just first, second, third, short. Almost a billion dollars. Now Wow. Of all the major contracts, which one's the best one? Ooh, I mean, I like Mookie Betts. Yeah, that's a good I mean, 12 years, $365 million on a winning team. I mean, these other guys, Mike Trout, do you think he's ever going to win the World Series? I think he's at, the best player oh, of, yeah, of the modern, but modern you, era. But do you think he's ever going to win a World Series with the Angels? They're, they haven't – I mean, they really – they've think, invested some around him, but they haven't gave him – they haven't put pieces around him. They're not – you think I'm Bryce not, Harper is ever going to win a championship Bryce Harper, with Phillies? No, Bryce Harper was a terrible contract. That's He's horrible. just an average player, on, his in agent, my opinion. Great. Wish his agent was my agent, if I had an agent. But Bryce Harper, Giancarlo Stanton is probably the worst one on that list to me. Yeah. The guy's horrible. I mean, the guy least, strikes out more than me and in middle school. And gets hurt all the time. But at least the, the, the Marlins got out of that contract and really duped the Yankees. So that that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Robinson Cano again. That was a that was kind of a bad because he got signed so late in his career. He's making two hundred forty million and now. He's been suspended twice for for uh, performance enhancing drugs. Joey Votto's contract's really good. It's coming up, you know, done soon. David Price that was terrible. These all these guys are making over two hundred million. The best one's probably uh, Christian Yelich. Seven years for $188 million. That dude's a monster. That's pretty Of course, legit. he's hurt all the time, too. Jason Hayward was terrible. Can you imagine what the what the Marlins would be right now if they still had those guys? I don't know. Holy cow. I mean, Jacob DeGrom, he's he's only making $138 million. That seems about right. For five years. I still, overpaid, that, I still overpaid for a pitcher, in my opinion. I mean. Pitchers, pitchers ought to be the least paid they ought to be like kickers in the NFL, in my opinion. You come out there, you're involved like less than 50% of the time. But they're the most important player when they're playing. That's that's the problem. When they're on the field, they're the most important player on and the I, team. And I get that. I mean, I get that. Because you, you got guys who are – they succeed. If they make one mistake, the game's over. Right. So, I mean, you, you got to put a premium on that. Yeah, you got guys that succeed – 20, 30% of the time, and that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And then you got pitchers who come out. I don't know. Pitchers nowadays, they're just not They're just not what they used to be. I'd give a Greg Maddox. I'd give him $100 million. Would what you give Pedro? Absolutely. Absolutely. He was a dog anyway. Because those guys went out there. Yeah. When they flash stats on the screen from pitchers from, from years ago, it was nothing to see a less than two ERA. Now, if a guy's got a three ERA, he's he's hot shit. But and I think it's a joke. But the games changed. The balls are hell. They the, the balls, balls are a joke. Last the balls year, are juice. You know, it, yeah, it's just a different game. In that same breath, if you can't hit the ball, 
It doesn't matter if it's juiced or not. And if you got Greg Maddox on the mound, I don't care what he's throwing at you. I don't think Maddox would be a top 20 pitcher in the day's I think baseball. I think he would. Not the way he pitches. I think he would. He could pitch the way he wants, and that's what made him good. He, he's you. You have to have the the stuff. He he doesn't have the strikeout stuff. What are you talking see. about? What I'm talking. He doesn't have swing and miss stuff. That's what I'm talking about. He he was painting the corners. Guess what? An they ounce and out. An ounce and out. This game, the game today, the the strike zones are smaller. An out. An out There's is more an strikeouts out. than ever before. An out is an out. That's but because the, batters batters are horrible too. The game as a whole is, is on, it's just different. It's, it, it's hard to compare. The, the salaries. I don't think Greg Matz would be a top pitcher in today's game. Maybe it's because I hate the Braves. I don't know. Totally is your boss. I've never liked Greg Maddox for some reason. I just never did. I love Tom Glavin, but and and Wallers. I love that dude, Mark Wallers. Really, you like Mark Wallers? Yeah, I did. Did he pitch in the Mets organization? No, but he had he had heat. I like John Rocker. John Rocker was my guy. (laughs) He pitched in New York, and that that was not a good thing. But I mean, what in his prime, he was really good. So that that was actually an excellent question from uh, Poontain sixty nine. Uh, we'll, we may have to revisit that. Maybe I'd like to hear his thoughts on on that. Uh, maybe he he can send us a voice message later and give us his thoughts on that. So we're going to take a quick break here from one of our sponsors. So I just had lunch at world famous Arnold's in Pattersville. I had the the world famous fish dog uh, tell them that single shot sent you. It's a revolutionary meal. Uh, you you won't be disappointed. But regardless of that, they also have excellent hamburgers. They have uh, you know steaks, grilled chicken, uh, salmon, uh, awesome salads. You can get a hamburger plate for six ninety nine. I I love their home fries. I even I love their damn coleslaw their house salad you know you name it uh they've got it uh the the quality and and price is unmatched for what you get i i would eat there over outback 101 times out of 100 so when you know when i'm giving this plug and i don't give plugs you know i'm not giving anybody willy-nilly plugs for nothing you know they can't pay me enough uh to advertise a bad product so arnold's in powdersville you know, go visit Matt, go visit Kevin. Tell them Single Shot sent you. They may give you a nice surprise. Who knows? All right, so we're back from break. Uh, we have a question from, uh, who, who was it? Mr. T from Upson Lee, our one and only out-of-state listener right now. <laughs> um, Mr. T asks, in Major League Baseball, when a batter fouls a ball off, or a pitcher throws one in the dirt, that ball is immediately put out of play. But when that same batter grounds one to second base or shortstop or whatever it may be, and the double play is turned, and it's you run they do a what a six four three double play. So you got three people after the ball is hit off the bat to touch the ball. That ball immediately goes back to the pitcher and is in play for the next batter. And he wants to know why why that is why is it such a detriment to the ball when it hits the dirt it's immediately taken out of play but when it's around the infield and you got multiple people touching it why is it still in play and i think that's a pretty interesting question so the only thing i can think of is because uh, 
the umpires or ball boys aren't touching that ball. When it gets grounded as a second baseman or shortstop and they throw it to first base, unless it's the third out, it goes the first baseman throws it right back to the pitcher. So right. it really doesn't get touched by a referee or, or umpire, not what referee, to umpi- take out of the game. What do the umpires or the bat boys have to do with it? I mean, that ball is They just put it in the bag. I think they just clean it. They from don't. the pitcher, off a bat, on the ground, through the dirt, to another player, to another player, to the final player, back to the pitcher. So it's touched eight different times right. by various points of contact. But a pitcher throws a brand-new ball in the dirt one time. I think it's just easier for them to – because a ball boy, unless there's somebody on, you know, on base, which then the catcher would have to get it, you know, whatever. The ball boy is getting that ball. Yeah, I don't know. What is that? I don't know. In to, in today's era, where there's such a there's such a big deal about everything, especially cheating, with steroids. I mean, you got players who are, or umpires who are constantly checking bats, checking pitchers' gloves to see if they've got foreign matter on them, sandpaper, Vaseline, whatever may have you. And that ball takes a trip around the infield and touches every player on the infield and goes right back to the pitcher and then is in play. Why is that ball still in play? But the one time a brand-new ball skips off the dirt into the catcher's mitt, well, it's say, gone. I think it's just because the, the umpires aren't getting their hands on the ball. Well, You'll see a lot of times a player asking for a new ball or tossing one to, to an umpire or a ball boy and getting a new ball. It's just because they're not touching it. I think it's unfair. I don't think it's, there's like some inside reason why. No, I don't think there's an inside reason why, but there's just no there's no consistency with it. There is no rhyme or reason to why that is. And personally, I think it's unfair to the baseball. I mean, no one takes the feelings of the baseball in consideration. I mean, that that's his one shot, right? I mean, he's out there. He's in he's in the hand of Cole Hamels, a three hundred million dollar guy, oh, and the guy skips it off the dirt. Garrett Cole, and that's it. Not Cole. Not Cole. Hamm- Cole Hamill sucks. Cole. They're all the same. He's on the Braves. He sucks. They're all the same. He needs to retire. But yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know if there I really mean, is the, a good answer. They're for it. changing the baseballs again this year too. So, but no, I, I don't think there's any kind of uh, legit reason why. I think it's just because the ball is just kept in play because the umpires aren't touching it and the players aren't getting rid of the ball. I don't. There's no. I don't think there's any other reason why. So, all right. That that was an interesting question that I don't really have a precise answer to. Like I said, I just don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If there we really don't know is why. A, there really is a good answer. Uh, again, I question, think the answer though. is for me is like I said because it's still being kept in play. It's not, you know, if it was stone like if it was a foul ball or. Or got behind a catcher and nobody was on base, you know, ball boys running, picking it up, putting it in the bag, you know, and there's a new ball coming out. Because you have to have a new ball. But I, guess. I, I don't I don't know of any other reason why. Uh, are you viewing the text line right now? Do you have any other? Yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling through it, see if I see any that, uh, that piqued my interest. Um, Jimmy the Bull from Seneca wants to know our thoughts on Sam Burns and the way he's playing in the Genesis Open right now. That's on the PGA Tour. In case yeah, I don't aware. even know who Sam Burns is, honestly. Uh, Jimmy Sam Burns Bull. is uh, he's a golfer out of LSU. And uh, right now, he is leading the Genesis Open. Um, I think this he's got one professional win, and it's not even on the PGA Tour. Um, but he's leading 
by quite a lot. Last I looked, he was 12 under, I think. Shot rounds of 65 and 66. He's probably leading because nobody else is playing in this tournament, the Genesis Open. I mean, you really could not be farther from the truth. Yeah, Sam Burns is 12 under. Shot 64, 66 so far. Second place is relatively unknown. Tim McCumber? Never heard of him. Who's third? I think it's Tim. Jason Kokrak. I've heard of him. Never heard of him. Jordan Spieth is six under. I know him. I mean, Jordan So you got Spieth, a bunch of unknown people playing in this tournament. So no, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson. Um, they're taking a week off, dude. They're just chilling. No, there's some big names in they're this tournament. They're just picking up a check, all, swinging a ball, you know, swinging the club around. horrible. But Mr. Sam Burns is leading it. 12 under. Uh, Jimmy the Bull, that, that's a that's a question I don't really care about, or statement, or whatever you he's want to call it. 24 years old. He was born in 96. He wasn't even alive when the Braves won their World Series. And he's winning, he's leading a PGA Tour event by six well, or let seven me know, shots. What, in the second round? Yeah, in the second round. Let me know how it goes on Sunday. We will. We'll discuss that. So, Miss Single Shot researched this uh, ball mystery issue. And you can tell people who Miss Single Shot is, dude. You need to let them know. Well, Miss Single our Shot behind is... behind the scenes. Yeah, it's our behind the scenes the reason we are statistician. Successful. So she, she's going to let us know about the ball issue. So it seems like people think that the balls are just not taken out of play after they've been hit on a you know an in-ground or infield hit, but they actually are. It just happens quickly and... Most people are going to be excited after a hit, so you're not really paying attention to what they're doing with the ball so much as when you're focused on watching every single pitch and noticing what happens with the ball that the umpire throws out after you know a pitch goes into the dirt. Um, these balls don't, the ones that are taken out of play, don't end up in a landfill. They can be sold as game balls, which is probably a hugely profitable business, and then they also um, are reused for batting practice. So there you go. We're, when they do that camera cutaway, we're just not seeing them flip the ball out. So out of play. Yeah, it sounds to me like teams are short on batting practice balls. Yeah, and they can't just use brand new balls. Well, I mean, it, I guess if so they're, they're paying if they're paying players three hundred eighty five million dollars, they got to save some money they on, on afford, balls there. Yeah, they can't afford a bunch else. So, so that <laughs> that's probably the logical uh, take on that is we're just not seeing it on the screen because awesome. they cut away. Mrs. Single Shot with the answer to that most peculiar question. So basically, all balls matter. All right, so our next question is from uh, Gamecock Will's a bitch, one of my favorite listeners, of course. Uh, his question is, is Carson Wentz a good fit for the Indianapolis Colts injury report? I think Carson Wentz is a good fit for anybody except the Philadelphia Eagles. That's the way I feel about it. And I'll give you one reason why. Jesus. 65, do you know the significance of that number? Probably how many interceptions he threw in one game. Incorrect. That is how many sacks the Philadelphia Eagles gave up in the 2026. That's because he holds the ball way too long. 65 sacks. Okay, that's dead last. Do you want to know who's almost dead last? And I'm just saying this for my benefit. The Giants? The New York Giants, yes. Yes. Yeah. 3.1 sacks a game the Giants give up. The Philadelphia Eagles gave up a whole other sack per game. 4.1 sacks per game. Do you want to know where the Colts are? 
I bet I know the Colts have a good line. Second. They're in second. They give up 1.2 sacks a game. Okay, but the Eagles do have an all-pro left tackle, Jason Peters. Okay, well, you can't block everybody. I bet if you looked up how many times Jalen Hurts was sacked compared to Carson Wentz, it'd be half, like, that's half un- of that. That's curve. an unfair comparison. Carson Wentz, he Hurts can't make decisions. More, he holds more mobile than Wentz. Wentz is pretty mobile, dude. I didn't Wentz say doesn't I make said, good decisions. I said Hurts is much more mobile. He holds the ball too long, and by the time he tries to get rid of it, it's too late. All right. Pers- all right. Personally, I think the Colts got a steal. They oh. gave up a couple draft picks. They've got a quarterback who's got some reps under his belt. They've got an offensive line that can block for the dude. I'm not saying he's going to go out and win Super Bowls for them, but I'm saying, I mean, Philip th- Rivers. They went eleven and five this past year with Philip Rivers. I think their backup, and the Colts' me, backups, better. I don't know who's the, who's the Colts' backup. Brissett. Jacoby Brissett. I don't know. I'm not saying. He's I not. think he could put up the same number as Wentz does, but but better. I don't know. Well, and I mean, so the Colts didn't give up that much for Wentz. And yeah, so you but you might see Brissett start. So they didn't give up much in terms of draft picks because his contract is so bad. In fact, the Eagles just by trading him. They've got like $37 million in dead cap space that they can't use for anything. They have to just eat that oh, yeah. money. The Eagles, are, the Eagles are done. But the Colts, but now they have to, the Colts have to pay that contract in full, which is like 30, what, $37 million a year or something stupid. I think they made a huge mistake unless they just didn't think they had another chance to get a quarterback. I don't. I think, I think uh, if they play Wentz, I think it's going to pan out for them. I think it's. I think it's better for Wentz than it is the Colts, personally, because the guy's not going to be on his back as much as he was in Philadelphia. 65 sacks they so, gave up. 65. Again. 65. I mean, I'm not an Eagles fan. But and that wasn't even with Wentz playing the whole time. Hurts was playing into 65 sacks. I'm not an Eagles Worse fan, but I think it's because uh, Wentz's decision-making, not necessarily the, the play of the offensive line. But it Jason Peters was also hurt this year, too. It could be. But a large part of a quarterback's decision-making has to do with their offensive line and how long they have to throw the ball. So, so that, uh, you know, uh, that that's a relevant question right now because Wentz just got traded yesterday to the, to the Colts. Now, can I bring up one more thing? It's yep. kind of a, a little small tangent on the Colts and Phillip Rivers retiring. Okay. I want to say Philip Rivers, um, in my opinion, was a horrible quarterback. Oh, that's not that's not true. But statistic wise, he was pretty good, I guess. But I never liked the guy. But I will say this: he is one of the best number one overall draft picks. Trash talkers. In the last twenty years, especially in the draft when he was taken number one overall. Am I getting no rebuttal on that? He wasn't taking number one. He was taking number one overall because that bitch Eli Manning decided he didn't want to play for San Diego, Jesus. so that negated his number one draft pick. Eli was Eli was number one pick. It's just a traded pick. <laughs> the Chargers, you think the Chargers wanted Philip Rivers over Eli Manning? Hell no. They took him. They took Rivers number one. Okay, the Chargers had the number one overall pick that year. They and they got Philip Rivers. Hence, Philip Rivers is number one overall pick. Uh, I mean, the Gi- the, it's only logical, dude. Okay, the Giants had the number one pick. They traded with the with the Chargers to get the number it's one. Only, pick. It's only logical. So it's only logical. Uh, we're we're gonna ignore that because that's not <laughs> true at all. 
Uh, Gamecock Will the bitch also asked, "Is the Montreal the Montreal screw job? Who was right?" I I don't know how many listeners are familiar with the Montreal screw job, but that was back in I think 1998 yeah. Survivor Series WWF. Was well, WWF, WWF because the WWE yeah, yeah. was didn't exist, and Bret Hart was leaving to go to WCW, but Bret Hart had to had the title, you know, and he. The plan all along was for him to retire at, as, you know, the WWF champion. But Vince McMahon, because him and the Hart family were not getting along anyway, uh, Vince McMahon had other plans and screwed Bret Hart out of the title by rigging the match and having Shawn Michaels take the title from him. Uh, now, when that happened... Uh, Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart into the sharpshooter, his own move, in the middle of the match, which was scripted. But the referee... What is it scripted? It's wrestling, dude. Okay. It's all scripted. So the match... Right. So the script was that Bret Hart was going to win the match. Right. That's scripted. What's unscripted is that when Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart in the sharpshooter... That the the referee immediately tap said he tapped out said he you know he was tapping out when he never tapped out if you watch the video he didn't tap out the referee called the match as soon as he was putting the sharpshooter there's a documentary on it on Netflix you can watch it yeah so I think one of the the main issues with this match is Earl Hebner probably one he of was the, a referee yeah he was he was horrible he was told he did his job he was horrible. He was, he was actually one of the best referees ever. He's did. one of the most tenured referees in, in the WWF or WWE or, or wrestling in general. But best? No, I don't think so. So I don't think so. And, and, and this was in 97, by the way. I thought 98. It was 97. August of 97. So Jared asked who was right. And I got a good opinion on this, but I'll let, you, I'll let George Speed go ahead. All right. So I really don't have that big of an opinion on this. Um, during the time that this was happening... I was strictly a WCW guy. Um, I don't know whose fault that is. That's just the way it happened. So I'm not well versed on the whole Montreal screw job. Um, I never was really a big Bret Hart fan, or really even the Hart family in general. Um, I get it. Their 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 family's tied to the business. Good for them. But I never really was a big fan. Um, I I really like Shawn Michaels. I mean, the Heartbreak Kid put finally put Ric Flair out of his misery and got his sorry ass out of the ring. Yeah, so I'm with you. I, I was I never liked Bret Hart. I, I always disliked this character. I didn't even like Owen Hart. I mean, rest in peace, I guess he died, but... Yeah, the guy couldn't even put a harness on right. I mean, what the fuck? So, like, you know, in my opinion, in my opinion, Vince McMahon was right in this situation because it jump-started the Attitude Era of WWF. Yep. It turned Vince McMahon into the bad guy because yep. he was always mostly behind the scenes. Well, then it created that bad guy character, and you would see him every show come out, you know, and just be a dick all the time. Yep. And then it's and he was and that good helped, at it too. And, yeah, and it helped jumpstart Stone Cold's popularity. Yep. So, thank God Bret Hart left WWF because it opened the doors for the new era of wrestling. Yep. And that's yep. what I grew up with. And D'Lo Brown, the best wrestler of all time. Jesus. Yeah, D-Lo, you better recognize. D'Lo was a joke. Um, 
the best European champion of all time, dude. All right. The only guy to have the European and Intercontinental Champion. Shit. You better recognize, dude. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that's a good that's a good question. We don't get a lot of wrestling questions. I I no, wish I'd we like got more. more. Open, though. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be really really fun to talk about. But yeah. What's next? You got any more so, questions? So yeah, Baltimore Bob had a question. So Baltimore Bob asked, and you may not this may not be a question for you. Uh, he asked, is Leicester City going to make the Champions League? Uh, and we have some soccer listeners. Leicester, Leicester City right now, they're second in the EPL. Uh, English Premier League, of course, the top four get into the uh, Champions League every year. Yeah, they're going to make it. Uh, I think they're only six points back of, of first right now. They've got a deep squad, uh, a bunch of guys that, you know, they, they always compete hard. Uh, Liverpool's down this year, so I, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't make the Champions League. I don't know if uh, George P. has any kind of, you know. No, I'm, I don't really keep up with the, the Premier League or really anything outside of the European Championships or the World Cup. Um, but I have been seeing some headlines – Messi's uh, leaving Barcelona or thinking about it? Is that something that's happening? Well, he no, he asked to leave last summer, but they didn't want they didn't they didn't let him. Then, uh, He's been trying to leave. He wants a new chapter. I think the new chapter for Messi should be retirement. I mean, the guys get pretty old. Yeah, well, he wants he wants to go he wants to play in England because England's always notoriously as the toughest league in the world. Yeah, he wants to play in England a year or two and see what you know how. What happens? Okay. So, uh, Baltimore Bob, if I had to give my top four for uh, Champions League qualification, right now it would be uh, Manchester City. This isn't in order. Manchester City, Leicester City, uh, the Blues of Chelsea, of course, and Liverpool. I think Liverpool will find a way back into the top four. So, those are my four. Uh, I'm pretty sure Chelsea's going to end up winning the Champions League this year anyway. But uh, yeah, that that's a good question. We don't get many soccer questions, so. Yeah, that is a good one. Now I've got a an NFL related question. All right. Another one from uh, Flying Brian, who's quickly becoming one of our most <laughs> avid listeners. Flying um, Brian. From the great metropolis of Belton, he wants to know if the Panthers are freeing up cap space in an attempt to get to Sean Watson. I mean, they can free up all the space they want. They're not getting them. Why not? As as I've said uh, numerous times on the show, Deshaun Watson's going to end up sitting this year out because the the Texans are not going to trade him. They've said repeatedly they're not going to trade him. The Panthers rumor they were rumored to give up three first round picks and Christian McCaffrey for Deshaun. I don't think that's enough for the Texans to do that. And I don't think they want McCaffrey because running backs are not a premium position in the NFL, and and they don't help your team win. If you want to look, look at Shaquan Barkley from the Giants, who who's basically changed you know the running back game. Uh, they've actually had a better record when he's been hurt and not playing. When he plays, he's amazing. He's getting you know hundred two hundred yards, but. 
there there it doesn't translate into wins. Running backs don't win. So Well, I don't think that McCaffrey's not just a running back. I mean he's he's just as much a dynamic receiver. So so is Shaquan. No, he's not. Not even close. Shaquan catches passes every not time even, they're not thrown. Not even close to what McCaffrey does. I don't think you're crazy. I don't have. I don't have. You Marcus. just like you just like Christian McCaffrey because he's a white guy. Is he white? Yeah, he's See, white as hell. Di- that's the difference between me and you, dude. I don't really. Are you white? Holy shit, you are white. Am I white? Maybe. I think maybe I'm just. We're all just. It looks like I'm pinstripe, man. We're all just missing some pigment in our skin, and that just determines what color we are. But. On a non-racist note, I think white guys get. Oh man, he's white. He's a white running back. He's so awesome. Doesn't matter if you're white. He's not that right. Good. It doesn't matter if you're white. What I'm he's saying white. is, he's a running I back. I think he's overhyped because good. he's white. That's what I'm getting at, dude. I if mean, he was, if he was a black guy, he'd just be just another running back. It's not helping the team win. So you, you're telling me that Christian McCaff? This is turning from a Deshaun Watson question. To a Christian McCaffrey thing. Right? Well, that's the key piece of the deal. So you're telling me that just because just because of his skin color, that that's why he is who no, he is. I, I'm saying, or why he is who I'm, people perceive. No, him. I'm saying running backs are not important. They're they're ha- they're not as important as quarterbacks. And no, you can't that, no you can't center that. a deal for Deshaun Watson around a running back. Yeah, no regardless if he's white or black. I'm just saying. People think he's better than he is because of because he's white. That's all I'm saying. No. Because you don't see many white running backs. You don't. Okay. You don't see many black hockey so this players. Guy, just because there's a black hockey puts, player doesn't mean that he's perceived to be better than all okay, the other hockey players. Okay, but McCaffrey puts up pedestrian average numbers. No, he doesn't. He scores a lot of touchdowns. He catches a lot of passes. But look at his yards per carry. Look at his like yards per touch. They're not that high. I mean, the dude has two seasons of over 1,000 yards rushing, one okay. almost 1,400 yards rushing, and okay. in that same season he had over 1,000 receiving yards. Yeah, that's because they had a quarterback, oh, Cam Newton. 19 that total dumped. touchdowns. Yeah, because Cam he Newton. He had a running quarterback, Cam Newton, who, who can't is throw arguably down the field. one of the most overrated players. Right. So McCaffrey carried them that year. Right, because Newton had to dump the ball off to him so many so times. So what? And McCaffrey's there. He did what he was supposed to do. But What's the problem? He I'm, did what he was supposed to do in that situation. And how many games did they win? Four games? I don't know. Four or five games? I don't know. How I, many Deshaun, How many games did the Texans win last year? Four. So what? Right. It has no bearing on the type of player that Deshaun Watson is. And I disagree with you on the fact that you think he's going to sit out. He's not that type of person. Uh, he's gonna the man is going to – if somebody's going to pay him to play, he's going to play. He he's not. He, he will I, never play another I game for be, the Houston Texans. I would be willing – and that might be true, but I don't think it's because the Texans refuse to trade him. He, if he is on that roster, come opening day, the man will be under center as long as the head coach says, hey, you're our guy. As long as that happen, happens, Deshaun Watson will play. I don't think he's going to sit out. I, I think he's – unless they trade him, he's going to sit out. And I don't think he's has. I don't think he has a chance to go to Carolina because Christian McCaffrey is not viewed as an important piece. Well, Christian McCaffrey aside, just from my own. I mean, look, the Texans traded DeAndre Hopkins for a running back that was hurt five times. Oh yeah, well they give up for Tunzel. What a joke of a trade that was. Tunzel's good. I'm not saying he's not, but what they gave up for him. Well, well, that was because they had bad bad management. Right. 
Tunzel's Tunzel's great. He's but a great see, offensive that, line, but the, the, the problem is they gave up. They made so many bad deals that now they have to make a good deal. And they're and Christian McCaffrey's not something that somebody that pushes a needle. No, he's. I'm not any saying, other way. But he's not. He might be like a piece. His number. They need to replace Washington. McCaffrey's numbers are inflated because of how bad uh, Cam Newton played that year. What do you? What did he do this year with uh, Bridgewater? Uh, two twenty-five and one forty-nine. He was hurt a little bit, yeah, but he but hurt. he wasn't when he played. He didn't. He wasn't all that great. I mean, he was hurt. His first year, what did he have? I mean, he had more receiving yards than he did rushing yards his first year. Yeah, so he had he had one years. year that was really good. Yeah, two years. Not two. About his it. first three years were pretty pretty outstanding. Uh, there I mean, his rookie year, he ran for four thirty-five and two touchdowns and caught six hundred fifty-one. I want to see his yards per carry. And five touchdowns. Do you know his yards per carry? Not off the top of my head, I don't. I, I doubt it's over four and a half. Well, I mean, I doubt it's over. I actually, happened, I, it's probably not over four I just yards. Just happen to have a supercomputer in my pocket, so forgive me. Look it up for a second. While but we're, while we're still on to the Sean Watson thing, everybody knows that the Texans aren't going to get what they're not going to get. Uh, I think they're I not going to get anything of, of equal value for Sean Watson. Here's what, what I think they'll get. I, I think they can get three first round draft picks as long as they get three two first round. As long as they get two Over starters. Over multiple years? Yeah. But, see, so they want two defensive starters. I think they can get uh, a defensive starter, three first-round picks, and maybe another offensive starter. Maybe maybe some quarterback that a team wants to trade. Because they have to have a quarterback, you know? All right. I got your I got your average yards per carry from McCaffrey. What, what is your guess per year, his rookie season, 2017? Probably 4.1. 3.7. So, again, not that good. 2018, when he ran for 1,098 yards. 2018? 2018. I don't know. <laughs> Five yards a carry. Okay, but what's it been since? 4.8 in 2019, okay. and then this past year when he was hurt, 3.8. 3. When he was hurt. when he's He only played when he was healthy. So Gee, two, that's a shocker. <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm saying is, doesn't uh, everybody play when they're healthy? I'm saying, but you 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 put in the injury bug. The only okay, games he played, the only games he played, and three point seven. So two years he's been under three point eight yards a carry. No, he's played four years. Two years he was under three point eight yards a carry. One year, he was three point eight and three point seven. Three point seven in his rookie season, and you said take out this year when he was three point eight. No, what I'm saying right? because he was hurt. No, I say. Right? No. Is that what you said? That's not what I said. What I'm saying is he's not that good of a player. When I'm two, when two of your four years, you're under four yards to carry. You're you're not gonna be a game changer. What's his when his rookie season? What's his yards per catch? Like seven or eight yards? I don't know. He's a running back. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, he's a running back. So if you get so, if you get, if you're catching a hundred balls, but you're only getting seven or eight yards every time, that's not really that good. His average yards receiving. Since his rookie season, 8.1, 8.1, 8.7, 8.8. So it's more dink He's a running back. So he would be perfect for that so they can dink and dunk. Yeah, but he's a running back. So, I mean, you're not. he's not going to be stretching the field. But that's what I'm saying. It's going to be a lot of underneath stuff. Exactly. This is or get, a running back. But this is, is getting to my good. point is that's why he's not a game changer because all you're doing is dumping it off when you're in trouble. Hey, there's a guy right here. Let me just dump it off. He gets a couple yards, no first down. He's just getting – you know, look. 
I'd like I to bet most him. of those catches are on third and ten. I don't, I don't have that stat. You know what I'm saying? Like third and ten, they, they got to dump it off the screen. Well, that's and then they go in on. and punt it off. That's why because they what? I'm saying the Panthers haven't been winning. When's the last time no, they've they been haven't. in the playoffs? My whole argument is McCaffrey is you. The only reason you don't like him is because he's a white running back. No, that's the only that's reason you true. don't like him. That's we all true. know it. As the rebel flag hangs above your I head, just don't think he's all that. We great. all know it. But that's beside the point. My point is McCaffrey is a good running back. He's a good player. You're not getting, the, he, Sha- you're not you're getting, not getting the Sean, Sean Watson. Watson for him. I agree with you. So that. the Panthers can free up all that money they want, but they're not getting the Sean Watson. I totally agree. I don't see it happening. So from Flying Brian. Flying Brian. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, pal. Probably pull for somebody else. I don't know. Four picks against Grossman and two fumbles. What do you see about the Bears? Uh, we shut them down that way. No, we. You know, I mean, we we just uh, let's, we, the Bears are what we thought they were. What, what, they're what we thought they were. We played them in preseason. Who the hell takes a third game in a preseason like us? We played them in the third game. Everybody played three quarters. The Bears are who we thought they were. And that's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Thanks, Coach. Matt Leiner will be one of the first probably about five minutes away. It's a disappointed coach. So, Gamecock Will is a bitch also asks, are the Nets the best team in the East? I don't don't know about George P, but no, they're not, in my opinion. They, They play no defense. They win games. They're, I think they're second or third right now. They, well, if they're second or third, but they haven't. I think Gamecock Will is a bitch. He's answered his own question. So, but but the thing is, they actually have a worse winning percentage since their trade for James Harden. I mean, haven't they won like their past five of their the last six games? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, they have. Okay, dominating teams, even without uh, Carrier. Oh, Durant. Durant's out with. COVID, so. Supposedly. But they're giving up 120 points a game. That's not sustainable. They've won like five, six in a row. I mean, they may have, but probably the level of competition is not that good. They beat the Lakers last night, but. I don't follow the NBA. They did. They beat the Lakers last night, but the Lakers didn't have Antonio Davis. I don't think the Nets are the best team because they don't have the defense to win. They may be a, a, a top three seed right now, but. They they don't have the team to win the championship, so no, they're not the number one seed. The whole the whole defensive argument in basketball in general has always baffled me. Did I don't get? But it. if you look at the teams that win, they do usually play good defense. Yeah, but what's good defense? I mean, you're giving up team score points. If you give up a hundred points or less, or if you give up less than a hundred points, you're you're like an all time defense nowadays. But if you're giving up under a hundred five points a game, you're you're a top defense. The game's changed, dude. Shot caught shorter, uh, more threes, more fouls. It's just a different game. So under a hundred five points given up, it is an elite defense. Yes. But the Brooklyn Nets are not the top seed in the East, just because they don't have any defensive presence. They have three guys that can shoot, but only one of them can shoot at a time. So, you know, I mean, how are they all going to score at one time? 
Yeah, they've won. Uh, they they're on a winning streak. Right they've now. won five in a row. Okay, but but what's the teams they beat? They beat the Lakers without Antonio Davis. So or Anthony Davis. So they held the last game they lost was to Detroit, who's the worst team in the league. Okay. The very worst team. Their in the win league. streak started with they held Indiana under a hundred points. Yeah, Indiana had a bad shooting night. My they beat, they beat Golden State. Terrible team. Jesus, the points in these games. They beat uh, Sacramento. Terrible team. They beat Phoenix, and then they beat the Lakers last night, so, which they held under 100 points. So so the only good team they've beaten in this winning streak is Phoenix Suns. I can't – I mean, the Lakers are good, but they're missing uh, Anthony Davis, their, their top point scorer. So I, I don't know how much stock you can put into that. So really, they've only beaten one really good team. Indiana had injuries in that game too, so – they're not actually. Yeah, they're they're on a five game streak. Um, I don't know. What are they second in the East right now? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, they're second behind Philadelphia. Yeah, they're they're I mean, not they're they're not the best team in the East. Sorry, now, sorry, Will. I'm gonna on a side note that kind of relates to this. I'm gonna apologize for one thing I said about James Harden the other week about being one of the players I'd least like to play with. When I said he was out about padding stats and all that. Well, he is. He does lead the league in assists. He did that last year, too. So, unless he's trying to pad his assist stat column. But look at his shooting percentage. It's terrible. So. Yeah, I guess. You I mean, still don't you like can get, You can get 11 assists a game, but if you're shooting 37 times and making 12, you're hurting the team more than you're helping them. I can't argue with you there. And especially uh, Chase, Chase asked, why am I so obsessed with three-point percentage? Because me and him argue all the time about uh, players chucking it. Uh, Steph Curry shot 23s the other night. He only made five. You so you shot 20. You chucked 23 or 23 pointers, and you only made five of them. You probably shot them early in the shot clock too. That's hurting your team when you're only making 20 percent of your shots, or 20. What is that? 25 percent. Yeah, I don't get it. Basketball's changed so much. I mean, why? Yeah, I so, like the three-point shot, and I don't like the three-point shot. But I mean, you know, the, the more the, you shoot statistically, the more I mean, eventually you're going to start making them. But I mean, just to go up and just start chucking the ball, yeah, it's not fun to watch. I mean, they they, they make a big deal about Steph Curry having the most three-pointers made in NBA history. Did our our he's about to catch Ray Allen. The dude chucks 20 to 25 threes a game. Yeah. So if you make five a game and you have 82 games a year, yeah, I guess you, you'll you move up in the record books. But are you helping your team win? No. Look, look at the Warriors the last two or three years. They haven't done anything. Yeah, prior to that, though. But they, he also had Kevin Durant and he had, uh, he had Clay, for like one Clay year, Thompson. No, Kevin Durant was there three years, dude. Was he? But Clay Thompson's been there. You know that it wasn't him winning it by himself. When him with him by himself, they're like they're out of the playoffs. Look at the last couple of years. Yeah. So Reggie Miller's still the best three point shooter of all time. I think Steve Kerr's up there percentage wise. I mean, yeah, Steve Kerr is up, but he didn't shoot a lot. At either. one point, he was the all time leader in. But he didn't shoot a ton percentage. of. Them. No, but, but the ones he shot, he made. But that's the point. Re- guys like Reggie Miller, Steve Kerr, Ray Allen, they shot threes. When they knew they could make them, and it would help their team win, they didn't chuck up twenty a game. 
Reggie Miller never chucked 23s a game. No, he didn't need to. No. Or maybe he should have. They might have won something. <laughs> That's an argument for another day. I don't I didn't particularly like that comment. So, uh, did you have did you have any text line questions right now? No, the text line's slowing down on my end. Okay, we're going to take a little break and hear from one of our sponsors. All right, guys. So we come to the uh, end of this uh, episode. Uh, we'll be back sometime next week. This is only part one of the top five uh, episode. So we want more, maybe more questions, or not questions, but more top five lists for us to come up with uh, from you guys. So send us more of those. We have some lined up. We want to we want to save them for, for different episodes. So we don't want to put everything in one. And uh, we have, you know, spring training for baseball started, so we'll, we'll start talking about that a little bit more. NFL draft is coming up. Basketball is getting into prime time. Uh, so... We, sports are coming back in full force right now. Yep. Fans are going back to games yep. in limited capacities. You know, bowling's back. Bowl, bowling's big time this year. Bowling's back. Bowling, so, lived, bowling never left. It was the it was the one rock. It stopped for a while, but now you got you, now you got tournaments where they're winning million a million dollars in a tournament. Hey, so step, step I mean, but bowling's big time. We need to incorporate some of that. Maybe your top, send us your top five bowlers of all time. I better be on that list. <laughs> top five bowling balls. Top five bowling balls is a good one. I got, I got three of them in my bag right now. So, uh, Twenty-five in the house. Yeah. So, uh, thanks, Miss Single Shot, there with that little, little comment. You're welcome. I got a lot of bowling balls in my house and a lot of other balls. All balls matter. All balls matter. <laughs> George P., did you have a closing statement? Um, no, just keep keep the questions and uh, the suggestions coming. Remember, they don't all have to pertain to sports. We're open to talk about just we, about anything. We can talk so, about the top five stadium foods. Yeah, anything. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't have to be sports-related. I mean, it could be be anything. Send in your questions. Send in your text. Keep it coming. We really enjoy uh, discussing everything you guys but have to I, give us. I'll tell you what's not in my top five candy bars of all time. That's the Shack Bar. That bar, that candy bar sucked. I think you made that up. No, I didn't. But that could be a topic. There was a shack. There was a shack candy bar. There was an Isaiah Thomas bar. What's the best candy bar named after an athlete? Clark Bar. Babe Ruth, a Baby Ruth. Nah, Clark Bar, named after Will Clark. Nah, one of the crazy first basements of all time. Baby Ruth, tons of peanuts in that thing, and and those new uh, chocolate Baby Ruths. Man, those are good. Or is that a payday? Hell, I'm thinking of a payday. I don't know. You got to land the plane, though. Yes. So, so double shots out. <laughs> <laughs>